Welcome to FedSpeak, brought to you by MI Market News. I'm Pedro da Costa, and today I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast Willem Bauter, a former member of the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee. He's also former global chief economist at Citigroup, in addition to holding academic roles at various prestigious universities in the past, including Cambridge and the London School of Economics. Thank you so much for coming on FedSpeak today. My pleasure. So let's start with the United Kingdom, since that's where you spent time as a policymaker, after all. What do you make of the latest developments? We have a new prime minister. There's still a lot of uncertainty about kind of market confidence in the stability of the UK financial system. Do you think that the the worst is over or do you think that the UK debacle was kind of the, a warning sign for other parts of the financial system? Any country that has three prime ministers in under two months uh, has some deep-seated the political issues that need to be addressed. It's possible that uh, Sunak Rishi will be able to, uh, to to sort things out, regain market confidence, and retain the support of uh, the majority of his MPs and his party members. But uh, it still looks as though uh, the situation is extremely fragile and the uh, risk of a resumption of the kind of financial unrest that we saw late September, early October, is definitely material. What do you make of the fact that the the risks emerged in a place that, you know, it wasn't some hidden shadowy corner of the financial system, it was actually in pension funds. What do you make of these pension funds, LDI strategies, and why weren't regulators perhaps better prepared or aware of them? Well, is a rule that um, regulators never quite anticipate the specific location where a crisis will hit, will erupt. And this was this was no exception. This uh, liability-driven investment strategy by entities often owned by pension funds came, I think, as a complete surprise to the Bank of England and the wider community. But we've had things like that happen before. In March 2020, the U.S. Treasury bill market seized up and the Fed bought a trillion worth of the stuff. So uh, there is a long history of regulators being eminently capable of dealing with the last crisis, but never with the next crisis. And this was no exception. So where do you think this leaves the Bank of England's monetary policy? Because on the other hand, they face an economy that's, some would argue, already in recession and a financial system that's fragile, to say the least, uh, with low confidence in institutions generally. But at the same time, they have very high inflation in the double digits, arguably. And, uh, and they also have a falling pound, which potentially requires solid rate hikes. What, what's the Bank of England to do? Well... It is certainly an interesting time for central bankers. The 10.1% headline inflation rate and even core inflation, this 6.5%, is calling out loudly for higher rates. The economy is likely either in recession or about to go into recession, but it will have to go into, I think, a quite material and sustained recession if the inflation 
we're seeing at the moment, is to be squeezed out of the system in a lasting manner. Uh, so um, the fact that the economy is weakening is, in a way, part of the solution to the inflation problem. Uh, where we have a, a real dilemma is in financial stability. Because whatever uh, the formal mandate of a central bank is, and in the UK it's price stability, and only subject to that growth and employment. But, uh, financial stability is and must be the overriding mandate of any central bank, because it's a precondition for anything else. You can't have enduring stable prices, or in the US, the dual mandate of maximum employment and stable prices without having financial stability. So they have to watch very carefully, and they may well be forced at times to engage in asset purchases or lending operations that amount, in addition to addressing financial stability, to expansion and monetary policy as well, which therefore aggravates the inflation problem. But there's no way to get away from that dilemma. Um, they can try and minimize the inflationary consequences of their stability-enhancing measures. For instance, uh, I think the Bank of England should have uh, sterilized or uh, should have aimed to soon sterilize the asset purchases, uh, the guild purchases that it did uh, between uh, September uh, uh, 28th and uh, October 14th. Uh, but they chose not to do so. And so that, I think, gave a wrong signal because it made it into unnecessarily expansionary monetary policy. And um, it was an additional problem, of course, that even though it amounted to an expansionary monetary policy action, not just the guilt purchases, but also the postponement of the quantitative tightening, the running down the asset purchase facility, the postponement of that should have been approved by the MPC. And the MPC was simply informed. They weren't asked to approve it, which I think was a mistake. So where does that leave race policies? I mean, do they have to compensate with higher interest rates on the other end to make we up? Likely to see, we like to see higher interest rates. I mean, interest rates at the moment are uh, two and a quarter percent. Right? They're not even in the restrictive territory yet. My guesstimate of where the neutral policy rate is, is two and a half percent. So the Bank of England is knocking at the door of restrictive monetary policy, but it's still on balance expansionary. So they're definitely going to have to go higher with rates. Uh, they may have to engage in asset purchase or collateralized lending operations if there's not an outbreak of financial trauma, but the expectation and the prospects for the foreseeable future, I would say for all of 2023, is for significantly higher interest rates. Like how, how high? I think in the UK, certainly higher than five, possibly up to 6%. Okay, well then now turning to the Fed, which faces some similar dilemmas, but also different economic conditions. Market seems to be fixated recently on the idea of a step down, the notion that the Fed's already delivered four consecutive 75 basis point rate hikes, and it needs to kind of either slow down or pause to 
take a breath and assess the effects. But they've also tied themselves to the inflation data pretty closely. And, and I wonder if you think they'll have enough cover from the data on the labor and inflation side to step down. The economy is still strong, right? The last quarterly growth figure was positive again at 2.6% in the third quarter after admittedly two quarters of negative growth. Unemployment is half percent, which is record low. And uh, inflation is uh, headline above 8%, uh, consumer price index inflation. The Fed's preferred indicators, the personal consumption expenditure deflator, uh, is running somewhat lower. But even core PCE deflator inflation is uh, 4.9%. So the underlying inflation rate can't be much, much below 6%. So uh, federal funds target range is three to three and a quarter percent. It's barely into restrictive territory. And it will have to go, I think, significantly higher. Where they're going to do it in multiple steps of 75 basis points each, or 175 and a larger number of 50s, I don't know. But uh, I don't think they're anywhere near the end of the road yet. Uh, I think inflation is slightly less elevated than in the UK, partly because the UK is worse affected by the fallout from uh, the invasion of Ukraine and, and energy prices. Uh, I think we're going to see rates above 5% in the US in 2023. That's significantly higher than the market's currently pricing. And I wonder whether you think that the economy can withstand that without slipping into recession. No, I don't think so. I think that you know, immaculate disinflation is not a realistic prospect. The notion that you can get inflation, underlying inflation, back to the 2% range without passing through a, a more extended period of excess capacity and higher unemployment is, I think, an illusion. We will uh, have to pay for this inflation eruption with a period of uh, cyclical weakness. Okay, we'll leave it there. But I thank you so much for your time. That was really fascinating. My, my pleasure. That was Dr. Willem Bauder, former MPC member and former global chief economist at Citigroup.